Hey there, listeners. Welcome to the Leadership is Changing podcast. My name is Dennis Giannoutis, and I'm your host. Had a wonderful interview the other day with a guy called Chris Miles, and Chris is the cash flow expert and anti-financial advisor. And I thought, wow, what an interesting title that was. He's the leading authority teaching entrepreneurs and professionals how to get their money working for them today. He's also the host of a podcast called Money Ripples, and his organization is also that, and he is a great guy. And we talked about all sorts of things, but one thing we did talk about was a real sense of duty to serve, how our leaders are there, and we are there to serve. The next thing was about being the best version of yourself, and here's another one, attitude follows leadership. He's a wonderful guest, and it was a great interview. So sit back and enjoy. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Hey there, listeners. Welcome to another wonderful episode of the Leadership is Changing podcast. Great to have you here with us. And I have a wonderful guest with me today. His name is Chris Miles. Chris, a massive welcome to you. Thank you. I feel very welcome. I appreciate being on today. Excellent. Now, Chris, whereabouts in the world are you today? I'm in the United States, in the state of Utah. Excellent. Have you always been in the U.S.? Well, no, actually. I did spend two years overseas. I lived in Japan for a couple of years when I was about 20 years old. Mm. And in fact, if you remember the earthquake that happened recently, that was actually the very first place, the location I lived in Ooh. when I was over there. Wow, wow, wow. And so in Japan, what were you doing there? What were you sort of, I mean, 20 years of age, were you sort of just touring or what were you doing? I was actually a volunteer missionary for my church. So I was actually over there just talking about Jesus, you know, which, you know, of course, Japanese people love to talk about, mm. which I'm being sarcastic when I say it that way. Mm, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, cool, cool. And of course, they would understand your English very well. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> no, right. I definitely had to speak Japanese fluently to be over there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Amazing. And so you have an organization or a business called Money Ripples, and you also understand you've got a podcast as well called Money Ripples. Tell us a little bit more about that. Tell us more about your background. Yeah. So, you know, my journey was interesting. I mean, I was raised by great parents that taught me, you know, your word is your bond. You live a life of integrity. You work hard. You follow your dreams and your passions. But when it came to money, Money was kind of a thing that was a little bit more rare, right? It was more of a scarcity conversation. It was not a positive thing. It was always about how we don't have enough money. We can't afford this. What do you think I am? Made of money? Money doesn't grow on trees. You know, those kind of phrases I would hear growing up, and maybe you did too. Mm. And so, you know, as a result, I didn't want to live that kind of life. I wanted something different. And so as a result, when I went to college, you know, I was going to become a business consultant, but I figured I should have real life business experience that I could call from. And so I dropped out of college and I said, let's find some business to do. And the first one was to become a financial advisor, not realizing that it was very easy to become a financial advisor. You didn't have to be a financial genius to do it. You just had to be able to pass a test and not be a criminal and you can become a financial advisor too. So that's what I did. And after several years, I sat down with my dad because he finally said, well, Chris, are you going to become my financial advisor at some point? So I sat down with him and understand again, my dad was a tightwad. You know, the guy was very cheap. He would say frugal, but we all said he was cheap. He was the kind of guy that saved every penny he could. You know, he paid off all his debt. He was very proud of it. You know, he was debt-free, packing money into his retirement plans. 
And then lo and behold, I sit down with him. I said, dad, you're 61 years old, but if you want to retire today, you better hope you die in five years because that's when you're going to run out of money. Okay, Chris, I didn't want to hear that. So what do I do? And I said, I don't know. You did everything right from what I've been taught as a financial advisor. And that kind of got me on a mission. It's almost like Matrix, right? The movie, The Matrix, you know, when you take the red pill, I eventually started taking the red pill, going away from financial advising, started looking at people that actually were financially free, which were people like people investing in real estate and whatnot. And so eventually got to the point where I realized if none of my clients were really financially free, including my dad, if none of the financial advisors were financially free from these investments, why should I keep doing it? And so I left, I quit, vowed never to teach about money again. Of course, later on that next year, I had enough money coming in, passive income coming in from my investments that I was able to retire when I was 28 years old. And naturally, when you're 28 years old and you don't have a job, either they think you're lazy or they want to know how the heck you did it. And most people want to know how I did what I did. And so 2007 came out of retirement to teach what I'm teaching today, which is teach people how to become work optional, right? You work because you want to, not because you have to. And you create enough income that you can actually do that. You can choose to leave work or you can keep doing what you love. Mm, very cool. It's funny how people look at people who sort of like in their 20s, whatever, and they're, they're wealthy and they're done well and they're retired. What do they do all day? Maybe they're a drug dealer. I don't know. And just people just start gossiping and it's just amazing how it all works. Now, I noticed that in your bio as I was reading it that you're the cash flow expert and empty mm. financial advisor. What do you mean by anti-financial advisor? Yeah, basically, I think financial advisors suck. Mm. That's pretty much what I mean. I mean, and I grant, I know they have good hearts. I know they mean well, because I was one of those people too. But what I've found is that when it has less than a 1% success rate for getting people financially free themselves, there's got to be a problem, right? It'd be like going on Google reviews and seeing that restaurant and there's 99 one-star reviews, but there's only one five-star review and saying, yeah, I think I want to go there. I want to try that food out. I'm sure I'll get poisoned, but why not, right? That's kind of like what it is with financial advising. And so I'm telling people to, instead of taking the traditional path of spend nothing, save everything, save it forever, hopefully that someday you might have something by blowing your money and gambling it into the stock market, instead getting them to do something that actually has been proven to work, mm. something that we buy real assets to pay you real income. And so I'm really preaching people to go against the norm, go against the, the grain in that sense of doing what actually has worked versus what's not worked for the masses. Very good. And, you know, I think it's in leadership and in life, I think we should think about possibly going against the grain, not to be that person who's skeptic or, you know, conspiracy and all that sort of stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, I've always, mentors have always said to me, if there's a hundred people and 99 of them are going that way, go the opposite. And I think that's what you're saying, yeah. right? Just go the opposite way and see where it goes and where it takes you because it's actually a good thing. And I think in leadership, the same thing too, is we think we have to do something because we've seen it done that way before and we think that's the right way and it's not. And so mm -hmm. then we start getting the same results that we've always got or we get the same results that our leaders have always got. And so performance reviews are a great example. You, most leaders think that doing a performance review is correct because that's the way it was done to them. And it's not always mm -hmm. the right way, right? So yeah, good points. Thank you. So if you're a financial advisor listening, that's okay. Talk to Chris. He'll help you out. He'll show you the right way to, to do things and, and move things forward. So, which is all good. Yeah, very good. Hey, Chris, question for you here. We're going to be talking a little bit more about leadership and so forth. 
But mm. also I want to know it from your lens and the sense of your experiences from, you know, things right from when you're in Tokyo, right through to now and in your field and industry, but also you talking to people. But the first question I've got to you uh, to ask you is, well, how did you get into leadership? You know, it's an interesting question because it was almost like it's thrust upon you, right? Sometimes it's not like it's something you go seeking after. I definitely was seeking after leadership positions. I mean, if you saw me in my childhood, I mean, I was definitely a very shy, reserved kid. I, I was not trying to be a leader in any way, shape or form. But I'll tell you the first time I, I realized I liked not necessarily being a leader, but being a guide, right? Which is a, a form of leadership it was actually in my fourth grade class. There was a, you know, talking about the history class of the pioneers going across, you know, from the East to the West, the United States. And I remember there were some actual natives that were students of my mom. My mom's a, a professional oil painter. You know, she was teaching these students and they were natives that were ancestors. Their ancestors were the ones actually along that trail that these pioneers took. And so as we're going along, they said, Hey, when you go on this trail, don't take that way, take this way instead. And don't take that one, take this one. And even though it was counterintuitive sometimes. And so I would go back to my classmates again, I'm only nine years old, but I go back to my classmates and say, guys, this is what we do. We take this trail instead but it's longer. Yeah. But you'll get killed on this part of the trail. Mm. And so we started to do that. And the next thing, you know, we actually won the game, you know, it was over the course of like, you know, a couple of weeks that we did this, but we actually came in first place. And it wasn't that I thought I was much of a leader, but I, I, I know that when I learn something and I find something that I feel is useful, I want to teach it. So I feel like I'm a natural teacher, but also a leader becomes part of it too. So even though I was a very shy kid, I would sweat talking to more than two people at once. You know, my palms get all sweaty trying to talk to a girl. That was horrible in high school, right? Most awkward kid ever. But I remember reading books by like, you know, certain American leaders like Malcolm X, you know, who's big on the civil rights leadership, much like Martin Luther King Jr. was. I read his autobiography and how he was so outspoken and he would speak his mind and from his heart. And I thought, man, I would like to be like that too. If I only I could do that. And so that inspiration from, you know, going from grade school, you know, moving into college eventually kind of got me to break out of my shell when I got into college and, and really started to step more into leadership type of positions. Mm, I love it. I love that whole analogy too, because I think, you know, sometimes and leaders will look at things and they might want to take shortcuts and because it is the shortest mm -hmm. trail or the shortest road, but it's not always yeah. the best one, right? And so I think you and I would That's know right. from, and, you know, from business and so forth, that life isn't always easy and there is obstacles. So you got to be a little bit aware of what's actually ahead of us and what's coming. So we need to understand headwinds and so forth as we talk it in business terms. But also the fact that it's not going to be the short way. It could be another way, but it's, yes, it seems longer, but it's smarter to do it that way. And I, I like that analogy that you just shared there. Yeah, very good. Here's one for you in the sense that this person could be alive or from history. Now, who's your favorite leader and why? I mean, I don't want to sound cliche, when I say this, because I'm sure a lot of people have said it, but I mean, I think Jesus Christ is one of the best leaders you can point to, you know, historically and even present day. Uh, and here's why, uh, not just because he was a great guy. I mean, there's lots of great people out there, very inspiring stories. But when you think about how can someone be, you know, one, like we said earlier today, being against the grain, you know, being more non-conventional in a sense, right? It's kind of bucking the status quo. Two, willing to express so much love and care for people and serve people, you know, even to the giving of his own life. And then three, it didn't die with him. It kept going. It created a ripple effect. 
you know, if you notice the name of my company was Money Ripples, right? It's that ripple effect you can create through people's lives when you prosper. The bigger you get, the more you have, I feel like a duty, a sense of real sense of duty to be able to serve more people and bless more lives. And he really did that. I think that's what a leader should do. A leader isn't about somebody who's just like a field marshal out there commanding armies, right? There's a time and a purpose for something like that, but it's really about how do you lead and inspire? You don't just lead from the front, you lead from the side, you lead from the rear, you're leading from all directions in a way to try to inspire people to have better lives. It should lead to the world becoming a better place, not a worse place with you in it. Mm. And, and the ripple effect is fantastic, right? I mean, it can impact so many people. And I actually say something to leaders as well as that, you know how you're saying about the serving side of things. I think that's really important. And the other thing too yeah. is what we say and how we say it and the things that we do actually has an impact on so many people, good or bad. And people are like, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, how many times have you had, you know, Chris, you may have had people come to you and say, remember when you said this to me, or I read this in your, or listen to this on your podcast and things like that. And you go, oh, what's, what did I say? And it would change my life and it was really good. And it's like, yeah, really, really cool. Right. So yes, there has that ripple effect, which is very important. We need to be mindful of. It's true. One thing to be mindful of as a leader, especially if you're in that position of influence, is that it's not so important about what you say, it's what they hear, right? I mean, there's been times I've had people that are even like very inspirational, like leader type people quote me. And I remember they quoted me and they say, yeah, Chris said this. No, I didn't. But if that's what you heard, great. <laughs> like if, it, if I get quoted from somebody as cool as you, I will take it, you know? So I think that's what's important. It's like, you know, it's again, not about what you say. You don't have to have the perfect words. It's about can you get a message across that they hear what they need to hear at that moment? Yeah, nice. And, you know, you, what you just said there as well is that if that's what they heard, it's their interpretation, their perception. It's what they're hearing mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah, really interesting as well. Go back to Jesus. If you actually had the opportunity to sit on a park bench with Jesus having a coffee together, would there be one question you would love to ask? him? Yeah, I think the question I'd probably ask would be, what do you see? Right. Because I think one thing that's so important, I don't think, I don't think it's just for leadership. I think it's just important in life and happiness in general is, is, uh, be able to, to learn more about you. Right. And so I would love to be able to say, what do you see when you see me? Like what stands out? What pops out to you? Because especially if it's something you can trust that really has clear vision, they don't have their own stories and preconceived notions about who they think you are, but they actually can see you. That is just gold. Right. Because if you can find what those talents are within you, the things that really stand out, you know, uh, I think of, you know, I once heard a quote, it's like, take what you've got and then turn the volume up. Mm. Right. It's like, take those talents, take what you have, turn up the volume. So then you can then be able to just make your strengths more, even better strengths. It's not even just a strength. Now it becomes beyond a talent. It becomes something unique that no one else on this planet can do than that you can. Wow. My brain just went when you just said that about taking your talents and then turning up the volume, that's really cool. You know what? I think a lot of people sort of struggle with finding out who are they and, you know, what talents do I have? I actually think it's right in their face. It's right in front of them, but sometimes they're overthinking it. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, well, here's what I've learned. Like even just when you pull people, you, know, you can pull the person that's known you your entire life and then pull somebody who maybe just met you last month. And you would be surprised if you ask them, hey, what makes me unique? What do you feel like you can count on me for? You know, when you ask those kind of questions, you'll be surprised that you might get almost the same exact answer from either of these people. Because unbeknownst to us, as we just live with ourselves 24-7, nothing seems to stand out. 
but to other people, I mean, I don't know if you've ever watched a, like, you know, I know there's like Australia's got talent. America's got talent. There's all these Britain's got talent. There's all these different got talent type shows. You see some talented people come on. You're like, man, I wish I could do that. I wish I could dance or sing like that or do that for kind of performance. Like how did somebody even come up with that gift? Right. We see it so easily in other people, but we have a hard time seeing it in ourselves, but it's the vice. It's the same true with everybody else. They see it in you easier than sometimes we see it in ourselves. That's why it's, it's always good to ask people from different facets of life that know you from different even from different experiences. Maybe they knew somebody knew you in college versus somebody who knew you at work. They might see you in different, you know, very different settings, but they might come up with very similar answers because it's just who you are. Find that core piece of who you are and that's what you use. Don't try to become another leader that you're not like because the truth is you can never replicate another leader. You can never copy somebody else because you'll just crash and burn. Mm. The whole point is how do you become the best version of you? Nice. How do you become the best version of you? Brilliant. And I think it takes work. It takes an understanding of mm-hmm. who you are, as Chris is saying. And listeners, the other thing I would say to you is, is what do you do on an ongoing basis to develop yourself? Well, what do you think leaders should do there around developing themselves on an ongoing basis, Chris? Yeah. I mean, always be a constant really journey of self-discovery for one, just like we mentioned here. I think that's important. And I'll reemphasize that again, but Really learn more about you and how you work, how you operate, or how you best operate. You know, for example, I know in the U.S., I mean, one of the tools that we use even with helping in hiring positions is we use a tool called the Predictive Index. It's one of the only tools that's actually been proven to work in a work setting where like Myers-Briggs, for example, like that's one I used to use, but you can never use that for hiring because there's no good correlation of effectiveness in a job role. Right. But just knowing how you operate can be very very revealing about yourself, right? So I think that's key for number one. But then secondly is learn how to lead, right? And I'll tell you, I mean, I'm one of those guys, I'm kind of a good lone wolf, you know? I tend to lead, I can teach just fine. But sometimes when I lead, I tend to lead alone, you know? I tend to stand out a little bit. And when a few years ago, my own company, when I had to start hiring and bringing on people, I realized even just last year in 2023, the first quarter, I'm looking at the performance of some of my contractors and employees. I'm realizing, man, this is pitiful. But at the end of the day, I realized I had to come back to me because I said, well, man, it's like there's a movie that came out in the U.S. called Remember the Titans. You know, it was a football movie, right? And I remember when the two team captains were getting at each other's faces. He's like, see, that's the kind of attitude that just ruins a team. And then the other guy says, well, attitude follows leadership, captain. You know, and... And I realized I was about to point fingers and start blaming my team for certain things not happening. I realized it was me. And I realized at that moment, I said, I need to become a better student of being a leader, how to lead other people, not just myself, but other people. I can't just expect people to just do their own thing just because I expect it. And that's what I do for myself. I need to be better at accountability. How do I be better at having the hard conversations? And, and so for me, the last year, I've studied a lot more about how to be a good leader. And that's been so good for me. I mean, because mm-hmm. I've now had more team members saying, yeah, you are a good leader. And I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a great leader yet, but I would definitely say I've become a much better leader than I was even a year ago. Yeah. And, and listeners, if you haven't already checked out that film, Remember the Titans, I think it's the title, right? Yep. Yeah, that is the sort of title. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you haven't checked out that movie, please go ahead and do it. Because what Chris has just shared there, it's a brilliant movie and the messaging in it is fantastic. And so when I was in Hewlett-Packard, we used to use that movie in one of the programs we had, and we used to share, we just talked about it, right? And we went through some of the different things. 
It was brilliant and great learning. So yeah, very good. So attitude follows leadership. Nice way of saying it. Excellent. Now the show here is called Leadership is Changing. When I say this, the, the title of the show or that statement, what does that mean to you, Chris? Yeah, it's, I mean, it may not be the interpretation you have, but I do see that leadership is changing. For example, like I mentioned earlier, sometimes you always picture leaders being like the iron fist dictator, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody to lead the charge. It may not even be a dictator. It could just be like a general, a field marshal out there ready for battle. And I know a lot of people see that, but I'm seeing that leaders, at least the leadership I'm seeing today, they're looking for heart. They're looking for purpose. They're looking for a clear vision and really a purpose about other people, not just themselves. Like, for example, and if you ever read, the, there's great books out there talking about like the fourth turning. There's a book just came out recently that talked about the, the fourth turning is here. And he talks a lot about history and how across the world, we go through almost like these 80 to 100 year cycles. And a lot of these cycles inv involve between going from individualist to collectivist in how we see the world. And it can vary from culture to culture. But right now, worldwide, we're almost on the same pattern because of how we're so connected through the web. So everybody's going through like this this turning right now where people are moving back away from trying to be the maverick, right? The maverick that's just going to, you know, pave the way. And they're now looking for people to lead a more social cause. And, and I've seen that be the case. Like with leadership, when I often communicate my vision, which I didn't used to do at all, and that was hard to, to be a leader when you don't have a clear vision and you're not communicating it. Mm -hmm. Even if you know it up here, nobody else knows it. But really just it's not about me. It's about what we do as a group. How do we help other people? How do we serve? I think that's more important leadership than ever. And so I see that changing way more than it was before, which was about, you know, how do you dominate, right? How do you conquer? It used to be like that. And, and I guarantee, you know, maybe if several decades from now, it'll be back to something like that again. But right now, that's not the case. It's not about dominating and conquering. They want vulnerability and authenticity. They want somebody who actually cares, someone who's not going to be too big to not listen to the, the bottom ranks as well, you know, only being at the top ranks and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I, I really see that there's a, a bigger focus on trying to, to lead as a group versus just being the leader. Yeah, totally, totally. And you say you're spot on and especially around being authentic, being real, being transparent, being the leader that people want to follow and someone who cares. And I think that's very important. Yeah. Now, you and I are living in a world, and even probably in the, you know, the cash flow, the money side of things, it's getting faster and faster in the world. Technology is driving a lot of the data, social, business, and it's like, whoa, it becomes a little bit overwhelming. What does a leader need mm -hmm. to do today to be able to be successful in that fast-paced, ever-changing world? Surround yourself with great people that understand that stuff. Because, I mean, my team can attest to this up and down. Like when it comes to technology, for example... I can't even keep up and I don't even want to because honestly, it just drains me. It makes me grumpy. So I like simplicity and my team knows that. And so I hire people that do get it and say, great. Okay. You found this cool new tool. What's the simplest way we can do this? What's the easiest, like the least barrier of entry for making this work in our systems, in our process. But that's why, again, you have to be a leader. You can't do this all alone because this fast, ever-changing world, you know, you need people to help help bear the weight, you know, bear that burden and to be able to make it easier on you. Mm. Yeah. I think there's a great book out there. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's not about the who it's about, it's not about the how it's about the who it's about who you the get who around you. Yeah. 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 Who not how. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Great book out there. And you're right. I mean, it's a big one in the sense of surrounding yourself with the great people to help you do get where you need to get to. 
But, you know, there's things like you and I do. Here's a good example. My GST return, you know, like tax and things like that. I'm dry reaching. Mm. I'm like, well, you know, I can do it. But there's people out there who love to do it. And so it's about engaging them to help you be successful as well. Chris, you and I have been talking about it, leadership through the lens of a leader. Let's change lens now. Let's talk about the lens of the employee. You've got people mm. working for you. You've had, to, you, you know, may have been an employee in the past. I have as well. What does it mean today? Well, in other words, how are employees' expectations of leaders changed? Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree that, you know, it has changed in the sense that they want it to be, have a purpose behind what we're doing. You know, I think that's a big thing. Even just the whole, you know, COVID in the whole 2020 debacle, I know New Zealand got hurt, hurt way more than we did, right? I mean, you guys, you guys were shut down for a long time. But for us, you know, like, it was kind of cool because, for example, like my CMO, I mean, she's kind of like my number two in my company. She would have never been a candidate for my company because I'm virtual. And so the whole virtual thing was fine with me, but she was working in an actual office. But after 2020 and everything else, and then with her having a young family, she's trying to figure out how to balance her personal life and her work life. And so she started looking for remote work. The first thing she found, she saw the ad for my position. She didn't look, she didn't apply for anything else. She only applied for it. Although I had several candidates, I knew from the first meeting, she was the one, right? I, I knew like she's the one that's going to work. I don't care if I have to keep doing three more follow-up interviews just to make it seem like I'm doing a good process. I knew who I was going to hire. And that would have never been possible had we not had this connected ability and be able to work remotely. And so I know that flexibility, having that work-life balance is very important for people yep. so that it's not just showing up to work, you know, battling rush hour traffic so that really you have 10 to 12 hour work days here in the U.S., which I think is ridiculous anyways. It's got to have something that really works with your life. And I'll say, and, and going along with that too, and this is good for whether you're a leader or the employee, is culture. I think culture is so important right now. That's the one thing I'm hearing from them, that the thing that keeps them with us is the culture. And it's not just that we don't have a dr dramatic culture. We don't like drama at all or anything like that. But it's, it's because we're very clear about what our core values are. And even when we hire, we hire and fire based on core values too. And a little bit on competency, but core values, if they get violated, that pretty much means they can't be with us. And they know they can't be with us because it just doesn't mesh. It's like oil and water. So for example, we have four core values in our company. Integrity is one of them that you do say when you say you're going to do it, right? You're just going to live what you preach. Two is humble confidence. You know you're amazing, but you're not going to like boast and brag about it, right? You're going to say, I'm awesome. I know I am. I'm just going to be awesome. You know, third one is yeah, for us is, is a constant improvement. So always trying to improve and become better, always learning, always, you know, you're always a student striving to improve. And then the fourth one is your servant heart, you know, that you have a servant mind. And it's very clear that if they match it, they know they're in the right place. We know they're in the right place. If they don't, they don't. Even if they don't have a, quite the right skill set that we need, we can always train a skill set, but you can't train culture in people. You can't teach people to have integrity. That's just impossible, right? Mm. You can't teach somebody who's arrogant to have humble confidence. They just won't do it, you know? And so I know from their standpoint and from ours, the thing that makes us really work well together is that we're aligned with our core values and then they're bought into the vision and they know what the vision is. It's not like they're just, you know, helpless. I know for me, the one complaint that they've had in the past, especially was they wanted to have specificity about what I expect from them. So be able to know what their job is. 
sometimes I'm just like, well, I hired you for this job, figure it out. Right. And uh, that's what I do, but that doesn't work for employees. And so they need to have some real direction. You can give them parameters. You don't have to tell them and micromanage them, but at least give them some parameters, some direction, and then let them excel within that. Yeah. And I think it actually comes down to balance as well when you're doing that, because there's leaders out there who will tell them exactly what to do word by word. And that sort of restricts people. Then on the other side, they want some guidance and they don't want to be left totally um, alone. So it's having that balance, which is really great. But I think what you, I like what you just said there in the sense, then get the heck out of the way and let them get on with it for them to excel, which is important. And, you know, having core values in an organization there's an expectation that's been put in place. This is what we do as a family, as an organization. And if you don't want to do that or you don't meet that, no problem. You're not the right fit. And I think it's a really good thing. Because if you don't, then a culture will be created anyhow. (laughs) That's right. And it it may not be the culture you want, right? And you'll end up hating your own business and want to get fired from your own business. Yeah. It's true. And, you know, and that's, I, I like what you brought up because it brought up a memory of one of my employees from years and years ago. She was an assistant of mine and we were talking about hours, what hours she was going to work. And I was thinking the typical nine to five, right? And she said, Chris, what's more important to you? And I was bold. I was shocked at how bold she was. She was only about 23 years old, but she was, she, she had the maturity of a 44 year old, right? And she said, well, Chris, what's more important to you that I get the work done or that I show up at the office at certain hours? I said, we'll let you get the work done. She said, well, if that's the case, does it really matter when I show up? I said, well, I mean, definitely. No, I guess not. Because it's not like we have, it's not like a storefront where you have to always be answering a door. So no, yeah, if you get the work done, show up when you want. I just need to know when, when you're going to be in or not in. She's like, great, done. And that was a big lesson for me because she wanted that flexibility just in case she had to go to like doctor's appointments, especially if she had a family and, and you know, things like that. But she's like, yeah, I, I still agree. I want to get the work done. I'm going to perform well for you. You're going to love me. And she's right. Like she's probably one of my favorite assistants I've had of all time. But that's the thing is I, as a professional, she's like, I don't need certain hours. I'm going to get the work done. You let me govern my day. You know, I'll still work. If you need to come at certain times, I'll be here. But you don't have to direct me. You know, I'm going to do what's going to be best for us. Hmm. And, and good on you as well for not having that ego in the way to say what? <laughs> And that, so you actually went with it. And as you said, you learned from it, but also mm-hmm. it was a good way to see and then someone excel from there too. So it's really good. Well done. Yeah. Hey, if I was to get you to get your crystal ball out now and think about the future five years from now, where do you see leadership being in five years? You know, you mentioned like who, not how, right? There's a lot of good books by Ben Hardy and Dan Sullivan. They got three great books out there right now. That's one of them. I, I recommend reading those books mm. five years from now. I'm basically working on firing myself. So, you know, if you would have asked me three years ago, what's the role you have in this company? My answer would be everything, right? Like I was pretty much self-employed and I was filling my own, I was not just CEO. I was my own COO. I was the CMO. I was the CFO. I'm like, I'm doing everything, right? COO, all that stuff. And sadly, I was a chief tech officer too, which is not good, but now as I started to hire more and more people and trying to trust more people to take those leadership roles, my, my goal is really to be more in the owner's box, mm. right? I, I still want to teach and lead just like what I'm doing right now that I still plan on doing for years to come because I love it. It's what fires me up and to lead in a sense of establishing that culture, make sure I attract new talent and that I'm helping have that vision be implemented. But at the end of the day, I want everything else to be my team let them really govern the company in that sense from the rest of the 
the day-to-day operations. I even have a goal actually in the next few years to hike the Camino de Santiago. That's there. It goes from like France all the way through Spain into Portugal. I want to do that. That's, that's a good, easy five or six weeks, you know, off the grid that, ha- that would take me to do that. And so I know for me to even be allowed to do that, I have to have the team in place to be able to handle all the operations and management, even if I'm not there. And if you are going to do that, I'm going to start again, recommend that you actually take a journal and you journal every single day because there'll be some things that you are going to encounter on that five or six weeks that are going to be great leadership lessons for people. And it can be a keynote, mm. part of your podcast, a book you might write. But it's those kind of things whereby I think that's when people, going back to what you said right at the start, that's where you start to discover more about yourself, is those kind of things and, and doing that. So yeah, that'd be exciting to do it as well. But being able to fire yourself, that's a good way to go. Yeah, really good. Chris, the true test is, can I really unplug? Because I, I get addicted. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And, and unplugging is a really good thing too, right? Because it's important. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of leaders aren't un- unplugging enough. And, and they need to do it. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Very good points. Hey, Chris, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. If our listeners are wanting to get hold of you, where, where should they go? Yeah, you can go to moneyripples.com. That's M-O-N-E-Y-R-I-P-P-L-E-S.com. Uh, you can also follow my podcast. We have the Money Ripples podcast on YouTube or wherever you consume podcasts. Excellent. We'll all put that in the show notes, listeners, and you can check those out. But Chris, once again, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Same here. It's been an honor. Thanks. Thank you. Well, there you go, listeners. What a great conversation there. You know, as a leader, we need to be thinking about things too. So, But have a real ju- sense of duty to serve others. Also understand or discover what the talent is within you. Take that talent and then turn up the volume. Because you see, attitude follows leadership. There you go, listeners. Hey, thanks for joining us on this episode. It's always great talking to you. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 